Next month, June 12th, 2018, my first ever book gets released. It's called I've Got Something to Say, and it's coming out on Feral House Books. To say I'm excited is an understatement. I am teeming with excitement. You know, our band has put out albums, many albums over the years, and it's always been exciting when each release is imminent. But putting out a book is a new experience for me and something quite special. This is a book that compiles my columns, articles, harangues, and general ranting about mostly music from the past 10 years, called from various music magazines, and it's been in the works for a couple of years now. Uh, I do believe I started assembling it back in 2016 with my editor Aaron Brophy and layout designer Ingrid Paulson. It was a project that turned out to be bigger than I had anticipated. Rewriting, editing, rereading, etc., etc. Add to that the 12 illustrators that I reached out to and who contributed work for it. Richard Comley, Damian Abraham, Gary Taxali, Fiona Smith, Mary Fleener, Gary Dumb, Juan Montoya, Valiant himself, Michelle Away Langevin, Cam Hayden, Erie Vaughn, and of course, Brian Walsby. Whether it was comic strips or standalone illustrations to help depict the articles within, I am so proud and honored by the 12 who I am now forever tied together with this book. Not only that, but Duff McKagan himself wrote the foreword, another person that I am so truly honored to have taken part in this project with me, because, you know, Duff is the man. And of course, Feral House Books, an imprint that I have quietly been a fan of for many, many moons. There are already many Feral House Books on my bookshelf, and so to add I've Got Something to Say to these titles and seeing the FH logo on the book's spine is akin to our band being on Touch and Go or Matador or Crypt Records for me. I can't hide it. I think it's fucking cool to have a book out on Feral House. So thanks goes out to Adam Parfrey, Jessica Parfrey, and Christina Ward at Feral House. And while assembling the book, combing through the many articles I've written over the years and deciding what articles to use and not use, I always, always had in my head for the cover an illustration by Brian Walsby. For years, I had the book's title in my head, I've Got Something to Say, and I had the person who I wanted to do the cover. Only problem was, I didn't know Brian. I was simply a fan of his artwork and loved his man-child comic book. I had his website bookmarked, but was too shy to even email him and ask. However, one day, talking to Damien Abraham of Fucked Up about other illustrators, it was Damien who suggested I reached out to Brian. He had his contact, and Brian had even been on Damien's Turned Out a Punk podcast. I told Damien what I just stated here, how it was kind of my wish to have Brian be a part of it, and Damien, being the major dude and good friend that he is, emailed Brian on my behalf, vouched for me, and with that, I grew a pair and emailed Brian myself. He said yes, and he not only did the cover, but illustrated an article of mine inside the book as well. And to go even one further, Brian also ended up doing the artwork for my Threes Company podcast, The Regal Beagle Podcast. So for the next batch of episodes, I will be spotlighting and talking to the various illustrators whose artwork graces my book. And, of course, I have to start with Brian Walsby. Brian's day job, as you will soon find out, is touring the world with the Melvins as their merch guy. That's cool enough right there, but Brian's hand is far-reaching. As a drummer, he's been in many seminal groups like Wax, that's W-W-A-X, with Mac McCann from Superchunk, the Patty Hearst Syndrome with Ryan Adams, Snake Nation with Mike Dean and Woody Weatherman from COC. He was in Shiny Beast and even briefly in Palvo. That's some 90s classics for you. He's roadied for COC and, believe it or not, turned down a chance to play drums in Nirvana back in the day. As an artist, I've already mentioned his man-child comic is fantastic. He's done t-shirt designs for everybody, from the Melvins, of course, to Propagandi, Torch, Big Star, Voivod, Poison Idea, All, Valiant Thor, and, of course, Fucked Up. He's done album 
artwork for seven seconds, namely the Walk Together, Rock Together 7-inch, and of course, again, the Melvins. Any interested parties interested in more Brian Walsby stuff should go to brianwalsby.net. And so with this episode, I talk to Brian first, followed by my talk with Captain Canuck, Comley Comics inventor, Mr. Richard Comley himself. So thanks to Blue Mike Microphones and Skull Candy Headphones for their support. This podcast supports Chino Locos restaurants. If you're digging this podcast, please leave a rating and slash or a review on iTunes. And in case you didn't know, this podcast is now available on Spotify. So without further ado, Brian Walsby is the first guest for the first half of this episode, and it starts now. The Tango Joe's podcast is the best around. They play the kid and take us to a telephone free and sound glad I like to sometimes. Jimmy in from Fuck Town, stop playing Hang Town Town. Danko Jones has a podcast. It's called the Danko Jones Podcast. La da 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 da. La da 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 da. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Get ready, because the Danko Jones Podcast starts! Hello, Brian? Yeah, man, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? It's great to hear your voice and to talk to you, like, one-on-one, kind of voice-to-voice. Yeah, yeah, it's nice, nice to it's nice to formally sort of meet you, even though it's through like a phone line. And I think I'm not sure I could be wrong, but that book that Michelle from Voivod had come out a couple, you know, like ten years ago, maybe. I, I don't know. Time blurs. That world's away book. Yeah, art book. He, yeah. I I'm not sure, but I think there was like something he drew for you. Yeah, he did like uh, a logo. Yeah, two T-shirt illustrations uh, for for um, for merch. Right. And yeah. So for whatever reason back then, when I saw your name, I just thought, and I don't know why I thought this. I was thinking that I thought you were like some industri- like like a Canadian industrial artist, like <laughs> like a Trent Reznor sort of person. I don't know why I thought that. That's well, that's sort of what I decided. That's sort of what I decided. Oh, this guy. I think this was like a. Kind of like a Canadian, like the you know, like sort of the other, uh, the East Coast version of um, Skinny Puppy or, or, or <laughs> right. something like that. I don't know why I thought that. Anyway, well, anyway, that proved to be wrong. That proved to be wrong as time has gone on. <laughs> yeah, well, it made sense because you know when when um, when I got in touch with Away and he said, "Well, what do you want me to do?" I said make it Voivod, man, you know, like make, make the illustration as Voivod as you can. So, uh, that makes sense. But yeah, it's a little bit, a bit uh, different than, um, the, 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 what we sound like our music, but being a big, huge Voivod fan growing up, um, I didn't care. I just wanted the illustration on a shirt. Yeah. But Voivod is still a part of, uh, you know, this, the reason why we're talking is the book and, Voivod is very much a part of this book, uh, or at least the way is because he did an illustration for the book as well. Um, so right, I think I, I think he had told me that. Yeah, I'm you know I've been a big fan, and he's um, I, I would never claim to say that I knew him very well, but he's always been really nice to me, and in the couple times, handful of times we've hung out and met, and I definitely respect him a lot as. An artist and definitely a drummer. He definitely has his own thing. Nobody really sounds like him. And uh, you know, they're they're still a really good band. You know, they've like just totally done the impossible. Actually, survived without their you know main 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 songwriter. Yeah, and yeah, somehow put out one of their very best records after they reshuffled their lineup after all that. Which yeah, I thought, Target Earth. Target Earth was very oh, impressive. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're they're the best band, basically, uh, which is kind of funny because like it also reminds me of like how like in the last five years I've gotten really into that band Propagandy. Yeah, I've noticed your but, recent uploads. Oh, uh, uh, they're like so good. They're like oh, these guys are quietly the 
the best band doing that. There's just so much bad. Just kind of like, I've never really liked Bad Religion or, no, you know, I understand their place and things, and I know like, that stuff is really big up there, too, because, like, some of my ex-bandmates from Scared Straight have been in bands that do really well up there. But it's like, Propaganda are kind of like the best version of that stuff because they're like that with a brain. They're like, I don't, I, I don't want to insult anybody, but they're, they're clearly, they're kind of like how Voivod, the best band in metal, sort of like, I noticed your propaganda uh, illustrations recently are a kind of a, a nod to a ways uh, nothing face era. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. I totally ripped off uh, and the nothing face record. When he did that poster and folded out, he did those drawings for each song. So I picked one that I liked and thought that'd be kind of funny. And I spent a lot of time working on it and, the person in that band that I know is Todd. And, you know, and I thought, well, this is kind of cool. But then I kind of thought, I thought afterwards, like, I don't really, I can't see why they would be interested in somebody ripping off somebody they already really, really like and admire when they can just go ahead and maybe get that guy, you know, the original guy to do it. But, you know, I, he's, probably, he's probably a busy guy, so, you know, I don't know. But, uh, well, I just I, talked I to think him. He liked it. I just talked oh, okay. to him uh, a few days ago, and they he said that they had just finished uh, recording the new record the day previous, and we talked about you, and he loves the cover of the book, and um, oh, cool, yeah, he was, yeah, he had nothing but nice things to say about you. So, yeah, well, definitely. Well, that's good. <laughs> Well, I heard you on the um, on Damien's uh, Turned Out a Punk episode podcast, and uh, you know you, you you spoke about the Melvins, but you, your your connection with the Melvins goes beyond a working relationship. Like you are, as am I, a huge Melvins fan. Yeah, yeah, I met them. I met them on their very first tour, and this is literally 1986. This is back, you know, uh, you know, God, how long ago is that? That's like a long time ago. Um, but they they toured the country with um, this other band from actually that I used to know from Southern California when I still lived there called RKL Rich Kids on LSD. <laughs> Somehow they ended up playing with those guys. You know RKL were a good band, and um, you know I met them then, and they did this massively unsuccessful punk rock tour with those guys, and you know everybody hated them, of course. You know, it was um, the polar opposite of what people wanted to hear during that time period, which was like, you know, super fast, hardcore, or, you know, the other thing that was really big was that whole crossover thing, you know, like, yeah. cross, and, 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 you know, I like, there's like a few examples of that that are good, but, you know, after crossover happened, I remember thinking, man, it was almost better when, when people thought, that punk rockers and heavy metal people were supposed to hate each other. The music was better. <laughs> really? But I mean, I, I know yeah. like you're, you're from North Carolina and COC are kind of the, kind of the instigators of all that in a way. They were, they were really, they, they really, uh, they were, they, they pioneered, you know, this kind of thing. But I, but even, even then I thought they were better than like some of what, was known as, you know, crossover or whatever. But yeah, they, they kind of took Black Flag and Black Sabbath. And yeah. It was kind of tweet sounding and it wasn't all super fast, gallopy, you know, like crap hardcore with Iron Maiden gallopy bass parts or whatever, you know. Yeah. Kind of, kind of what speed metal is. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I, I met the Melvins in 1986. I, I had just moved into North Carolina because I, I actually grew up in, in Southern California. Uh-huh. And then for whatever reason, through punk rock mail correspondence, I just thought, I'm just going to move across the country for no reason, whatever. <laughs> you know, see how that goes. And I ended up there. I was right. I was already kind of friends with the TOC people, and I was fans of what they did. And I was 20 years old and had no responsibilities or goals or plans. So I just ended up moving out there. And then two months later, I met the Melvins, and um, they were a real game changer, and I stayed friends with them. You know, since and then that kind of led to 
10 years ago, them going, well, you want to go out with us and sell our stuff and, you know, you can sell your own stuff too. And so that's, uh, that's happened since. So. so when did you start going out with the Melvins as a, as a it was, guy? It was the, the, the um, I, I hung out for like a couple of weeks during the first tour they did when they had the two drummer lineup with Cody. Oh. Cody Willis and Jared Warren playing bass and singing. And then officially working for them was the next record tour, the Needless Boots tour. Right, right. And it's been more or less since then, I think. I might have missed oh. one or two things, but, right. but yeah, it's been since then, for whatever reason. I mean, you, 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 you're talking about consistency. I mean, the Melvins, to me, are one of the only few bands who have have been supremely consistent with their output, like almost, you know, like clockwork, they put out an album that pretty much decimates any other kind of heavy music album that year. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, I still, I still wait for the new Melvin's record to drop, which I can't say for a lot right. of bands, you know, that I, I was, I followed for, for a long time. You know, like yeah. knowing there's a, there's a I, I, Melvin's record coming out is actually just as exciting as like the hot new band on the scene's new album. You know? Yeah, I, I still, you know, I, I I don't know really what to attribute all that to, except that it seems like, uh, you know, it's like a band led by somebody that has three brains that's constantly overthinking every possible thing, and he's constantly has ideas and he takes all of his ideas to the engine room, which is Dale Clover. Right. You know, and, uh, and they just, they seem kind of fearless, you know, like, um, I think that's just sort of it. They don't really care what anybody thinks. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, uh, that kind of shows in the, uh, presentation and, and whatever. And the fact that at the end of the day, they're a good band. You know, they're still a good band. So, yeah, it's weird. It keeps going. And you're right. There's, there's, there's very few, uh, there's like a small handful of bands where you, uh, expect something. Like, you know, like when Voivod puts out their next record, I'm going to approach that the same way I would approach a Melvin's record. Right. Or like, you know, when the, when the last Propaganda record came out. Well, um, well, Brian, getting back to um, the book, I mean, I, I, I did want to tell you that I had your website bookmarked um, for years, like for a long time before we started putting this book together. And I, you know, obviously, I didn't know, I didn't know you, I didn't know if you knew us as a band, and I was gathering illustrators, and you were always in my head to do the cover. I wanted you to do the cover, even though. And we didn't know each other or anything. And then Damien Abraham from Fucked Up said, why don't you get Brian Walsby? You got to get in touch with Brian to, to be a part of this. And I said, oh, my God, yeah. it's like you're, you're reading my mind because I've had Brian's website bookmarked, and I've just been so close to sending him an email to ask him, could you reach out to him and, you know, kind of like kind of, you know, kind of vet me in a way and, and – and and which I think Damien did, like he kind of introduced us. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Like I I met him. Yeah, yeah. I met him to being you know being in his van, and I knew him. You know, met had hung out probably half a dozen times, and then he uh, he, he he did bring all that up. And I said sure, and I did my own research, and I was like, oh, he seems like a nice guy, and that was that was literally it. Well, as luck would have it, the week that uh, I think uh, I reached out to you, I also posted my podcast with Away from Voivod, and you listened to it, and you're like, all right, I'm in, kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. I was like, all right, this guy, this is a nice guy. <laughs> Obviously, we, we share some, some, some similar uh, tastes and interests, and, you know, yeah, that's that. You're right. That's exactly what it was. I was like, okay, I'm in. I'll do this. And I think I, I also did that. Um, the cover came out, you know, looking really good and everything, but I seem to remember that the other thing I drew, I, I, I liked 
maybe maybe even more actually the whole your whole origin of the, the heavy metal the heavy metal horns or whatever and how yeah. I guess you read about how overplayed that was and I remember thinking that came out pretty good because it was there was so much stuff put in there in such a tight space and it still looked good from I, I have this weird eye memory that it came out looking good Oh, that's exactly that's exactly what I thought when I first saw it. I'm like, wow. And and I I don't I don't know if you asked me like what, what do you want me to do with it. I I think I, in the back of my head, I was just hoping that it would look like you know it came out of the pages of Manchild, and it kind of does. Like it, it's really really yeah, it cool. Is. Yeah, and I fucking I love it. I love it. Yeah, I think I think the cover is good, but I I, I almost think man. That, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes when you draw stuff, it doesn't always come out looking how you want it to. And uh, I got pretty lucky with, with that for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It came, out, it came out exactly like what I wanted it to look like, and I was just kind of amazed at how, uh, wow, that's a, that's a lot of us. That's a lot of work crammed into a, a still readable format. Yeah. yeah. And, and and the story itself the story itself that you gave me was really good, so you know. Oh thanks. Maybe that and, and made that easy to do. <laughs> yeah. Well yeah, and, and another connection with the book is Valiant himself from Valiant Thor yeah. also mentioned your name and I said, Wow, this is amazing. Like there's all these people involved with the book that are that know each other and are connected and are fans of one another and we're all together on this, this project which I found um very reassuring because it's all yeah we're all on the same team here in a way so it's cool it was really exactly nice. yeah valiant met those guys there a lot of them went to a, a school in the middle of north carolina in a town called greenville i think it was mainly him he hatched the whole concept of the band and my friend charles cardello who has this company called bifocal media um, we worked on a few of my books together. He's the guy that mainly did that. And we've done a bunch of T-shirts for people. He's friends with Herbie, and he introduced us. And um, one thing led to another, and we became friendly. And it's just kind of weird how it all kind of ties in. Yeah, because he, he mentioned to me, he's like, you know, you should get Brian Walsby. I'm like, ah, uh, you know, Damien beat you to it. I, I'm already, you know, I, I already got Brian now. He, he's he's on board for the project and uh, it just made it really great and and yeah but I I had to tell you this face I like all over the phone I had to tell you that you in my okay. head I I had pictured your artwork to be the cover of the book and to me that is the best that's the best part of the book is the what I had in my head like I want Brian Walsby to do the cover um right. but it happened and I'm just I'm just like. I love it. And everybody I show the cover to, everybody who sees it, it's, it's always like, whoa. Like, it's, it's a definite, it, it, you know, uh, it, it grabs you. The cover is definitely, uh, and that's what you're supposed to do when you're trying to sell books, I suppose, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Well, I'm, I'm glad you got that kind of feedback. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, thanks for the compliment. And also, that's also very nice to hear um, that other people like it, too. So, um you know, thanks. <laughs> and another, another side, a sidebar to w what you've uh, done in our collabs is you did the, you did the um, the cover for my other podcast, the Regal Beagle podcast on Three's Company. That's right. How how is that going? It's going really good. I just uploaded a new episode today with uh, Derek Green from Sepultura. We talk about season three. <laughs> Season three, episode seven, Chrissy and the Guru, and that was uploaded today. And of course, your your artwork is what people see first. Well, well I, I'm proud to uh, I'm proud to be a part of that. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I, I mean, I remember the show, of course, and I, I remember watching it, but I can't say that it's been seared into my memory banks the way. It has been to some other people, like such as yourself. <laughs> um, so you're able to. So um, I, I don't know how it works as far as like how much American television makes it to Canada. 
So I guess you must have grown up watching that show. Oh, all of it. I mean, you know, we're bordered with Buffalo, so. But you know, what's really funny is like, I'm not sure there's any Canadian. I can't really recall any Canadian shows that have made it down that I remember seeing except for SETV, which I've always said is my favorite comedy based show ever. And I still, even though, you know, it's a very dated show. I still think those guys are the funniest people I've ever seen, you know, from being a kid. And yeah. that's the only show that I ever remember watching. I remember watching like the very early episodes when they first started out. It was super low budget and it somehow made it, you know, down or, or you know, down into the States. And it was like 1977. I was a little kid. And I remember thinking, what is this? You know, what is this show? This is great. I've done uh, I've done paintings about some of the cast members, uh, some of their characters. I've, I've written I've written uh, testimonials to the show. You know, and uh, you know, I think since then I've you know I was a fan of uh, Kids in the Hall, of course, which mm-hmm. Lauren Michaels actually did produce. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And uh, the, then the um, what's the the Trailer Park Boys? Oh yeah. But, uh, it took me a while to figure out that what that that was sort of some Canadian version of being a redneck, maybe. Yeah, yeah, out on the they, coast. Yeah. Right. So, um, so those those are the things that I've kind of picked up on since SCTV, which admittingly is forty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've had um, Robin Duke on the podcast, so she was on. Robin Duke, short-lived, yeah. short-lived cast member when uh, Catherine O'Hara left. Yeah, um, and she was really cool. We went to her. We went to the school where she teaches. She teaches, uh, I think, comedy performance or comedy writing at, at the school in Toronto. So we drove up there and uh, we talked to her after school. Right, right. So, she was nice. Yeah. She was really cool. Very. I bet nice. she was a very, very, very quirky person. I would imagine. Um, not with us. You know, we were pretty much. You know, she wasn't on, so to speak. You know, like, but she was cool. Like, she was really nice to us. Like, really, really cool. And you know, we felt very relaxed and comfortable around her. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. remember her. I was like, oh. I guess this is a replacement for Catherine O'Hara. You know, the other thing was, like, a lot of the references that were supposedly were Canadian versus American, you know, I, ne- I never really picked up on that. I just picked up on that it was kind of bizarre and funny, and sometimes it would be kind of whimsical. But, like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, even even, like, the Great White North stuff, you know, after a while I figured out, okay, well, this is a spoof on you know, Canadian stuff. Yeah. So it took me a little while to figure that out. I was, I was like, is this, you know, you know, I guess the closest thing in the States would be, you know, like Minnesota or North Dakota, or South Dakota. Right. You know, there's, there's a lot of similarities there. Definitely more than say where I live in North Carolina, obviously. Right. Yeah. But right. like, I, I just thought it was all like this sort of like pleasantly bizarre <laughs> kind of comedy but way smarter but way smarter than and funnier than Saturday Night Night Live I thought Mm -hmm. I mean not not like I not like I was you know I I didn't fancy myself as some intellectual 16 year old kid or anything like that I just for whatever reason I just thought they were way funnier you know and it just it seemed more it was less SCTV was less about you know, like dope humor, I guess. Like, like let's smoke pot and get high. Oh, that's uh, I'm stoned. Uh, you know, <laughs> it was just more. You know, it was more just I don't know, whimsical and and mm. just pleasantly bizarre. Yeah, so. yeah, I agree. I agree. Is your podcast is going to be like this is dude talking about SCTV for like. You know, 30, 30 minutes. I think my dad used to watch that show. You know, I'll be like that. <laughs> well, I, you know, we don't talk enough about SCTV on the show, so it's it's nice when we when we can. So, yeah. But um, Brian, it was great talking to you, man. And 
and kind of meeting you. Likewise. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I had a great chat. This is awesome. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity, of course, for uh, being able to do the cover and for doing the other cartoon. And uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I was glad to be a part of that project. And uh, hopefully we'll we'll meet one day. Have a good day, and um, I'll I'll be in touch. Okay, have a good day, Brian. Thanks, man. Okay. All right. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. That right there was Brian Walsby, whose illustration graces the cover of my new book, my first book, my only book, I've Got Something to Say, out on Feral House Books, June 12th, 2018. Inside the book, as mentioned, there is artwork from 12 artists, and while Brian's is the first you see, Richard Comley's comic book illustrations are at the very end. Richard Comley is the creator of Captain Canuck, Canada's greatest homegrown superhero. Being saddled next to America, we as Canadian kids were happily inundated by DC and Marvel comic superheroes. My favorite superheroes growing up were Wolverine, Silver Surfer, Red Tornado, Black Panther, Batman, The Flash, Daredevil, Power Man, Submariner, etc., etc. And yes, Marvel did create a Canadian contingent inside their universe with Alpha Flight. But that was an American interpretation of Canadians. Richard Comley, through his Comley comics, created a distinctly Canadian superhero in Captain Canuck, definitely influenced by Captain America, but in my opinion, 10 times cooler. I also put forth the notion that Marvel was in turn influenced by Captain Canuck when the superhero named Guardian appeared in X-Men issue number 109 back in 1978, only a mere three years after Captain Canuck had debuted. So there's that. When I was tracking down illustrators, asking them to be a part of the book, I never thought I could get Richard Comley to contribute. But attending Fan Expo in Toronto back in 2016, I met him, we exchanged contacts, and sure enough, he did it. I gotta say, as a lifelong Captain Canuck fan, I am thrilled that Richard drew a comic strip with me going back and forth with Captain Canuck. It's really supremely cool. These days, Captain Canuck is more alive than ever before through Chapter House Comics, who rebooted the hero back in 2015 after a successful animated web series through Smiley Guy Studios hit the public. In fact, Captain Canuck never really went away, though the original run ended in 1981. Over the years, Captain Canuck has returned time and time again. In 1993, Richard Comley relaunched The Captain again on Semple Comics for four issues. Then more issues appeared in the early to mid-2000s until IDW compiled all issues into an impressive volume called Captain Canuck, The Complete Edition, Back in 2009, you got to hand it to Chapter House Comics. They're handling a legendary hero in an updated, exciting way that's very engaging and go even further, branching into novels like The Terror Birds. And as of May 1st, the Royal Canadian Mint has put Captain Canuck on a $20 silver rectangular coin using the image taken from issue one of Comley Comics from 1975. That is downright incredible. Richard and his wife, Evelyn, are starting up the Tri-City Supercon in Kitchener, Ontario, October 6 and 7 of this year, and it will be an easy chance to meet and greet with the man himself. I caught up with Richard Comley to talk about Captain Canuck and to thank him for being a part of my book. So here's part two of episode number 174 with Richard Comley. Hey, Richard, how you doing? Good. Yeah, so to have you part of this book of mine is, um, like I've been saying to all the illustrators, there's, all, there's a connection uh, with everyone that I asked to me and, and why I asked everyone to participate. Different reasons for different people. And for you, um, your crea- creation, Captain Canuck superhero that you created, um, made a very huge impression on me growing up as 
it did for a lot of people, uh, an entire generation of, of kids, I think. Um, and so, you know, when I, when it came to the idea of, of collaborating with illustrators, uh, you were definitely a long shot. I, I didn't know if you'd be interested. Um, and I was so happy that you were, and I, I was able to ask you face to face at fan expo, um, to have Captain Canuck end the book because your illustration is at the very end of the book is just, um, I think it brings everything full circle in a way for me personally. Um, and just to have you be a part of it, uh, man, it's, it's such a thrill. It's re- really a thrill. It's such a cherry. Right. Well, good to hear it. Yeah. Um, I, I should tell you how I got into Captain Canuck. It was in the most, I think one of the most Canadian ways possible. I was on a day trip to Muskoka with my parents to see the trees change color in the fall. And we stopped by to have lunch at this cafe and they had a, a Captain Canuck issue number four for sale and my mom bought it for me. And I just could not believe that there was a Canadian superhero um, which I think you've probably heard time and time again from people. Yeah, few, few times. <laughs> yeah. Now, what made you start Captain Canuck? Uh, well, Ron Leishman, <laughs> most precisely Ron Leishman, and um, and I consider his contribution. I mean, was so important that uh, I consider him the co-creator. Um, I met Ron, uh, Ron Leishman at church. Um, it was either late 1971 or early 1972. I, I can't remember exactly, but um, and and the funny thing is, I had seen Ron before because I I had gone to Red River Community College and taken the first term of a course called Advertising Art, and he had taken the same course and he was a a year. Uh, ahead, so I, I I saw him in the halls a few times, and um, but anyway, so I met Ron. He was a cartoonist, and uh, by the way, you um, many people have seen his cartoons, don't realize that they're his, but I see his cartoons all over the place. He uh, he has a, a website called Tunaday.com, and people many people have subscribed to his cartoons and. And used them for ads and posters, etc. His style to me is I I can recognize it immediately. It's re- he has a hilarious cartooning style. But anyway, so I met Ron. We would get together. This is like um, like I said, early '72 or late '71. We started to get together, and um, he's he said to me there there needs there should be a Canadian superhero. And there should be, a, you know, a Canadian comic book series about a Canadian superhero. And I wasn't into comics at that time. Um, I think at the time I was working as a graphic designer and because uh, I did a n- number of different jobs. But anyways, I said, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we talked about it a number of times. And it was all talk at that point. Uh, and then I started to get really serious about it in 1973. And that's when I started to do the research uh, about distribution and printing and, and selling ad space and all the rest of it. And, yeah, I, it was all new to me. I mean, I, I had never been involved in comic books before, so it was all new. So you credit Ron Leishman as the co-creator for Captain Canuck. but. Yeah. Beyond that, did Ron Leishman contribute to the artwork or the writing, the storylines, etc.? No, um, he didn't. Uh, th- what, what? Basically, what we did is, we, you know, we we he did a, he, uh, the first sketch of Captain Canuck was done by Ron, but I redid it because his style is such a cart, uh, kind of a. Uh, a cartoony style, you know, right. more humorous style. Right. That, that no, it, this has got to be more in the traditional superhero style. Right. You know right. I mean? And yeah. uh, so basically, I redid it, and uh, basically used his drawing, but re- redrew it and less exaggerated, less you know, etc. Uh, but that was the, the foundation. You know, he basically designed 
the first costume. And really, uh, his um, we had vacillated between Captain Canuck and Captain Canada. Right. And, uh, you know, they, were, they just seemed to be the two most obvious choices. Uh, but I soon disqualified Captain Canada because, well, I can remember the day, the very day when I decided absolutely, well, there, a couple of things. There was about three other Captain Canadas out there I discovered eventually. One had moose horns and also very, very goofy kind of cartoony style. And, uh, uh, the, well, there was, a, and there was a few others. One had a hat like Zorro. And uh, so, you know what I mean? Like they were, as far as I ever can concerned they were sullying the waters as far as that name was concerned but then but really what, what got me is i walked into the hudson bay store it would have been 1973 in uh, winnipeg manitoba and i saw a sweatshirt and uh, uh, that sweatshirt had it was literally an old superman drawing mm -hmm. and, and they had made no efforts to change it other than to remove the s symbol from the the chest they replaced it with a maple leaf, and they put underneath that, underneath the drawing, Captain Canada. And it, it was just, you know, basically just to uh, sell sweatshirts. And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it's interesting. In, in some ways, there is some sort of poetic connection with Superman because Superman was co-created by a Canadian. And, uh, but, yeah, Ron, Ron was busy at the time. Um, when we, you know, when I was starting to get serious about the whole thing, he was busy with raising money to, to go on a mission. We're both Latter-day Saints and he, uh, he was planning to serve a two and a half year mission and, and, uh, missionaries, uh, who, who serve uh, for the church do at their own expense. So he had to go raise some money and he went out West and worked, uh, he worked in, up in North uh, on seismic crews and all kinds of stuff for a few years to raise the money he needed to support himself for two and a half years. He ended up going to France. He ended up learning to speak French very well, uh, and he went to France for two and a half years. And he left about the same time I was starting to work on the comic book. So I really seriously got into it in 1974. And um, started, you know, to to put it all together. And, and one of my biggest efforts, which I actually spent more time on than I should have, is trying to sell ad space because, you know, the big the big challenge was how to make it work financially. Right. And um, so, yeah. And then by then, Ron was on his mission, and we we stayed in touch. In issue number three, I I print a, a copy of Ron's. Uh, well, I print Ron's letter that he wrote to me, and uh, I asked him, you know, just to write a letter, uh, just letting us know where he is, because, you know, he is credited in the book as a co-creator. Yeah. Uh, and um, and he wrote a great letter and, and did a drawing. He did a drawing of John, another uh, uh, storyline that um, uh, we ran in the first few issues that was totally uh, Ron's idea. You know, I basically just wrote, uh, you know, the stories for it and uh, did, I think I did the illustration for the first few and and then uh, George Freeman did some illustrations for it later. And it was very much like John of Mars, you know, that kind of, uh, that kind of storyline. Right. Well, <clears throat> I would, what money I would give or maybe you would give to get that sweatshirt with the maple leaf on it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It, I mean, like I said, there is sort of a connection. That connection, uh, you know, it's sort of, uh, how do I put it? I mean, yes, uh, Superman is the really the origin for the superhero genre. Uh, and it was co-created by a Canadian. Yeah. And so Captain Canuck is sort of, uh, you know, sort of fits in a, in a way that, you know, it's, you know, it's somewhat nationalistic in or iconic in in representing Canada, and um, and uh, and it is and he is a superhero. So there's all that sort of uh, um, I don't know ironically poetic connection to the very first superhero that really started the genre. 
Well, <clears throat> you mentioned that there was uh, three Captain Canadas that you knew, so you, it it kind of made the choice for you. But I'm gonna I'm gonna add a fourth Captain Canada because I ripped off Captain Canuck when I was a kid drawing superheroes. I had my own Captain Canada superhero, <laughs> and it was a complete ripoff of the Captain Canuck superhero that I would draw and in uh, notepads and stuff and and the, he was all part of a huge group of canadian superheroes all inspired by captain canuck there was yellow knife there was uh <laughs> all kinds oh, of i had, you a, had a your your character was called yellow knife i had a character named captain canada who was kind of the central character but then the other supporting superheroes there was one called yellow knife and cool name cool yeah name. <laughs> yeah so um yeah, all kinds of ones. I have it in a notepad still. I kept it. Wow. Um, but y- y- yeah, definitely Captain Canuck was ha- more in my in, in my uh, in the foreground of my superhero love than Captain America ever was. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. But now, um, oh well, since the well, actually, to go back, there was only. Am I correct in saying only twelve original Captain Canuck issues? Of the what we call the original series, what you know, I started yeah. the first. I started in seventy five, so the first issue came out actually in May of nineteen seventy five, and there was actually fourteen issues um, in what we call the original series. Uh, well, fifteen if you count, of course, the summer special. So there were fifteen issues, and there was actually so it was issues one to fourteen, and then the summer special, which came in after number ten, right? Kind of, uh, but there was issue number. 15 so there's actually 16 issues that were completed but uh, number 15 didn't get printed till uh, 2000, 2005 oh right yeah. um so what i mean i mean i kind of think i know the answer but what made you stop comly comics on that original run i'm assuming uh, money yeah <laughs> real real easy answer yeah <laughs> ran out of money <laughs> And and so out of funding. So yeah. over the years, I mean, it's it's gotten reboots and and uh, it's gotten restarts and reissues and and now it's kind of, I think, gaining some ground now through the Chapter House comics uh, serial. Am am I right? Like, how's that yeah. going? No, it's going great. Um, yeah, it has it has been sporadic over the years. So. Basically, the first series ran between 1975 and, and the end of 1980. And even there was a, a two-year interruption in, in that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you know, things happened over the years. There was newspaper strips here and there and licensed products here and there. Uh, and then I did Captain Reborn in 1993 to ni- 1996. And what's ironic about that is that when I when I... Originally, originally did the series. Uh, I wrote the stories taking place in 1993, <laughs> in, the, in the far distant future of 1993. Yeah, so it was it was there was a bit of irony there that I did reborn. It started it in '93. Yeah. So '93 to '96, I did those four issues of reborn, and um, and then it was licensed to two brothers who did a four part series. And then I did two issues of Captain Hunt Legacy, which is going to be completed. Uh, hopefully, it'll come out next year. Uh, that's when we're slated it for. Uh, I, I will complete that series, Captain Hunt Legacy, which brings uh, Tom Evans and Darren Oak together in uh, hopefully an interesting way. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, you know, Darren Oak of the uh, Reborn series. Right. So, yeah, and then and then I got together with Fatty Hakim. Uh, let me see, it was uh, 90, um, it was, oh, it was, oh, oh, boy, it's been about 10 years. Right, so, oh, four or oh, eight? Yeah, uh, yeah oh, oh, nine or something like that. Mm. Oh, oh, yeah, I think it was oh, nine. 09 is when I got together with Fatty. And, uh, you know, basically he contacted me uh, about using Captain Canuck in his menus. And one thing led to another. And we had, and then, uh, you know, eventually, you know, we started uh, having discussions. He wanted to do something much more. 
And uh, my goodness, we talked about it for months. Uh, we had numerous meetings, and because uh, I, I had you know I had had so many people approach me about wanting to do this and that and animation and all kinds of things, and I had optioned optioned Captain Canuck uh, about by that time about about three three different option agreements, and none of them you know panned out in the end, kind of thing. You know what I mean? And um, mm -hmm. so. I, I become very um, uh, not maybe cynical a little bit. So I, I and and I just wanted to, before I did moved ahead with him with Fatty. I wanted to make sure he had a really good business plan. He had every all of his ducks in a row, so to speak. Um, and um, and uh, not until then did did we did both of us sign on the dotted line. And and you know in the end I'm glad we went to all that effort. Um, because that's one of the reasons why we're where we're at. I, you know, Fatty's been the best of anybody I've, I've dealt with over the years. I mean, he's got the passion, he's got the imagination, he's got the brains, you know, to be able to pull this off, and uh, and he's got the connections now too. So, um, no, it's working out very well. I I, I really think we're here now. You know, there. I don't think we're going to see any more interruptions in, hmm. in the comic book series, and and there's all kinds of things in the works. You know, and a, a, a live action TV series, an animated TV series, both are in the works. Um, lots of books and comic books uh, in the pipeline. So no, it's been it it has worked. It, you know, it only took uh, it only took me 35 years to find him. <laughs> So, right, right. Yeah, something like that. 30, yeah, something like 35 years. Uh, so, yeah, it's working out. Well, yeah, I mean, I noticed there's, like, novels now, like, for, for young readers, like the Terror Birds and all kinds of offshoots of the comic book. Now, my, my, my question that I, I think a lot of people want to know, and, you know, you are the creator of something that is, you know, gone forth and spread its wings so how do you feel personally as the creator the creative instigator of this this hero when you put your you know your baby in someone else's hands uh, for a collaboration or a reboot like in 2004 and now with chapter house how do you feel as the creator putting it in someone someone else's hands well i think anybody in my position is going to have some trepidation mm -hmm. and and i did at the beginning you know what i mean and that's one of the reasons it took us probably two years of discussion uh before you know we really started to do anything and uh you know get serious about things the other thing too that that fatty proved himself and he brought a really good team together calman and um um let me see um paul Paul Gardner, you know, he would, Paul, who, uh, um, he did some great writing for the, uh, 2014 summer special, for example, and, and had a lot of great ideas and, you know, uh, so he, you know, he really, so, you know, having confidence in their abilities and in their imagination was a big help. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I knew, you know, Fatty was earnest about updating everything and uh, even though I was a little bit hesitant about that, the other big issue was they wanted to change some of the characters. Redcoat, Quebec, Blue Fox. Uh, they were all male characters in the original series, and now they're all female characters. And that was a little bit of a pill to swallow. I don't have anything against women, don't get me wrong. But, right. you know, it's just like changing the gender of, of characters that, that I had created was, you know, a major, major change. Well, it's and, just, it's just, you know, it's your, it's your invention, your vision. I get it. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but, you know, I, I think part of the help has been the fact that, you know, it's been a number of years, you know, and, and so, and I've, I'm a, and I've aged, you know what I mean? So if I would have, if this would have happened, I know many years ago, say within the first five years, I would have been much, much more resistant. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, just life and, and, and maturing or, well, 
supposedly maturing. Uh, I, you know, I, uh, I, I know it's, I'm much, much more appreciative of others, other, other people's contribution. I think it's a big part of it. And uh, so, no, uh, it, it, it's been fine. So. There must be something very, very satisfying when you watch, you know, uh, uh, an animated short of of something you created, but but it's taken a life of its own in someone else's hands. In a way, it's 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 satisfying in a different way, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I, I have to admit, um, the very very first episode of the web series. Which is very well done, and Paul Gardner had a big part in that in the script of that, and they did a great job with the script, and that's probably the most important starting point. You know what I mean? Is to mm-hmm. have a good script. Mm-hmm. The first animation I saw was much, was more full animation than what we used in the in the series, uh, and you know due to budget and stylized and stylization, uh, it was a it was a you know how do I put it uh, the the animation was. Um, more limited. Let me put it that way. Right. And so when we had the very first showing, I'd only seen by that point. I'd only seen samples of the animation. I'd only seen the script, and I only saw little bits and pieces. So I hadn't seen the full first episode. So when I saw the first first episode and and saw the limited animation style. I said, what, 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 you know, like this. <laughs> and, and I kind of ignored all the good things about, you know, the, the great script and, uh, and, you know, and the other things I, 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 you know, I had sort of, I had, hadn't focused on that part of it. And now that I've seen it a number of times, I, I much more appreciate, uh, you know, the, 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 the script, the, the great script and, and the effectiveness of the animation that was used. Mm-hmm. And of course, the music was great, uh, great music. And that's uh, Fatty's doing. He he just pulled off some real miracles, getting you know uh, music that should have cost him many thousands for you know a few hundred dollars, kind of thing. You know what I mean? Well, I remember uh, we were asked to 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 uh, put a, a track in as well, but I think the series had already kind of locked all the music by then well uh, there's we, gonna be more series we're game i mean <laughs> I, I i was immediately like yes where do we sign up where can we who do we yeah. talk to and that was another thing is um how i even got reconnected with captain canuck was i through twitter i saw a few tweets that that you know was promoting this captain canuck reboot I liked it. And then someone from Silver Snail in Toronto, the comic book store, got in touch with me and said, hey, you know, we're doing this thing, this reboot, this relaunch, come into the store and, and you know, grab a T-shirt. And that's what I did. Uh, and I posted about it and I grabbed a mug. And in doing so, I, I was able to speak to, I think, the owner of Silver Snail. And he had something to do with the the reboot and the chapter house reboot. Am I wrong? George, George Zotti. He, yes, he did. He worked with Kalman in, um, you know, in, in uh, the storyline for the new series, which uh, debuted actually in um, 19, uh, sorry, 2015 with the free comic book day edition. And then the first issue came out in uh, j- just a few weeks later um, which is now in, you know, now well on it, on to, uh, I don't know, they're doing in, 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 um, series that they go up to issue 11 or 12 and then they start a whole new storyline and they start from one again. But, uh, no, George Zotti was, a, you know, had a, a lot to contribute to the new series. That's for sure. Yeah. It kind of, you know, reminded me of Captain Canuck and I, I kind of got super into it again. And, and so, it's it's it was you know amazing and then of course when i went to fan expo and comic-con i i saw the chapter house uh tables and i met you there and everything and so it kind of it was all you know kind of came all full circle but it was through twitter and through a tweet or that i liked or something like that yeah Um, and so yeah everything kind of yeah it was a big full circle now in in another completely you know, non-related to comics, 
you have something else going on. You are, again, you invented Captain Canuck, you created it, but you also are the creator of the Comley Crane, which I'm very interested in finding out more about. What exactly is that? Well, my goodness, it's got to be 20 years ago almost. And um, in, yeah, it was about 20 years ago, I started to uh, get into some video production. I, I've worked as a commercial artist all my life. I did take a, a, a course, like a 10-week course in video production in just before we left Alberta to move to uh, Ontario mm-hmm. in 1985. And uh, so when the new digital format came out, I started to uh, basically, you know, just help other people with their with their video production. I also bought a, uh, a couple of cameras and did did a bunch of video production. I did a um, drawing from the prose video series. It did very well for me in the educational market. And um, in the process, uh, I I bought a crane from somebody in California. And um, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't a very good crane, so I ended up designing my own. And with the help of people who are much more mechanically minded than I, was able to develop a crane that, that uh, we manufactured and and sold on in the market. Wow. Uh, and uh, ended up making hundreds and hundreds of these cranes. Um, and you know, I have a friend by the name of Mitch Morissette who is a mechanical genius, and he contributed a great deal to the development of the crane. Uh, so, and, and, a few, and there was a few other people, too, that contributed greatly to it. Uh, so I developed this, this small crane. It, it goes on top of a, a, a sturdy tripod, camera at one end, weights at the other end, and you can get great crane shots. And, uh, and I, I have made them now. I stopped making them. Um, about the time I hooked up with Fatty because we just got, I just couldn't do it all anymore. And, um, and, and, and the other thing too, is the crane market was getting a bit saturated with other cranes and, um, drones started Ah. market too. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like people started, you know, drones, heck, I, I don't need a crane. I can get a hundred feet up in the air instead of just 20 or 10 feet up in the air. Right. Right. So, anyway, so the timing was was good in that you know I was able to kind of get out of that. It was a it wasn't my full time occupation manufacturing cranes, but it was a really important part of our livelihood uh, for a few years. Hmm. And wow. um, so yeah, the, and and we shipped them all over the place. Uh, we shipped them to Europe. We shipped them. Some went to Australia. Um, most of them were sold in North and South America, but, uh, yeah, they were all over the place and I spend a fair bit of time and energy, uh, developing it and manufacturing it because I, at the beginning, I had a lot of the work done by other people. And then I realized, Hey, I can do that instead of paying somebody else 50 bucks an hour Mm -hmm. you do it myself. Mm-hmm. And I set up my garage and and did a lot of the work. In the end, I probably was doing eighty percent of it uh, um, myself. I, I I wasn't set up to do welding and and some of the precision stuff, so I had other people. I had to farm that out. Uh, maybe seventy percent is more accurate. You know, what I mean, oh, the work, I, the part of it I was doing. But yeah, and um, no, I mean. Um, I like like I said I I helped other people with video productions and my cranes were used in shooting a lot of documentaries uh, and and TV series you know um, used by a number of channels so yeah I have one left I have one left and I need one crane in my possession and I need to get it repaired I won't use it well if you know if they're gonna do the Captain Canuck television series live action. The yeah. Comley crane must be used at least for I know. one That's shot. A, that is such a good point. I'm, and I believe me, I'm going to fix it and just give it to them. And say, hey, you've got to use it. I don't care where <laughs> yeah. or how. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, uh, thank you so much for, for, uh, for talking to me uh, today about 
Captain Canuck. I mean, it's such a it's such a great story, and it's it continues on. And now I can honestly say that it is a part of me because you know you illustrated me. I mean, it's just. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I love it as a comic good. fan. I love it. <laughs> good, good. Oh, so um, thanks so much, Richard. Thank you. You're very welcome. a time when I felt like I was all alone Then I met you when you turned my world to gold No need to say it No need to turn away We have an understanding day by day All I need is to look into your eyes And I'm okay When the world gets dark and the rain pours down Chance